Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Calvero Speaks. Thank you for continuing to listen. If you're a new listener, hello, welcome. It's the morning at the time of recording this, about 8 a.m. I've been awake for an hour. For some reason, I've been enjoying recording these in the morning when I'm still kind of waking up. I don't know why. It's a good time to do certain things. So I wanted to try and get another episode out before the nation most likely descends into chaos more than it already is, I guess, um, for the election. So let's get right into it. Um, You know, in a lot of ways, this podcast has been shaped by me looking back at my life and trying to learn from the lessons of my past, the way that I've had a tendency towards self-destruction uh, for everything, but particularly when it's come to my music career and releasing music, the catastrophizing, the fatalism, a lingering sense of inevitable doom, the depression, all things that don't really have anything to do with art or making things or expressing yourself for a love of craft and devoting your life to that craft and getting better, all of the bad stuff that keeps us from really enjoying that process is stuff that comes from the business, the way our society views class and achievement, and how we've all internalized that for ourselves, for the way we treat others, the way we engage with the internet and compare ourselves to others. That's all the bullshit, and if anything, a big part of my mission for myself has been to try and really uncomplicate my relationship with making music and putting it out and trying to maneuver a career for myself in that way. Because I think it can, and I think it should be, really as simple as this. You make something, you put it out, you let it go, you move on to the next thing, rinse and repeat, and the rest is overthinking, it's fear, it's self-doubt. So I released a new song this month, and it's interesting because it's the first time that I've released a new piece of music since doing this podcast, which I've said is my outlet for publicly talking about and unpacking my struggles that I've had throughout my adult life when it comes to releasing music. And my goal of making, releasing, letting go, moving on, rinse and repeat, as I said, I think it's clear to me that that's the answer and that's the aspiration, but I'm still not quite comfortable with it. I think I'm doing a good job of knowing that's the path that I need to be on, but You know, you put something out and then you start having that fear of, am I not doing enough to get this out there? Did I not plan it right? If I don't think that this is performing well, then what does it say about me as a person, as an artist, and what people think of me? So we'll get into all that and more today. But first, if you'll indulge a few plugs. First of all, as I mentioned, I do have a new song out. It's called Wait. It features my good friend and friend of the pod, Arthi Mira. I'm really proud of the song. I'm really happy with the feedback I've gotten about it. I'm really happy with what went into making that song and making that production and how the lessons from that process made me more confident as a producer and a songwriter and a singer. And I'm hoping that this process of releasing it and attempting to promote it as best I can will similarly help me on the road to have a better head on my shoulder when it's time to release the next one, which you folks should expect in early 2021, assuming there's not a total societal collapse by then. I would be so fucked if there was a societal collapse as a, as a pause. 
I've thought about this. I started really thinking about this when those reports started coming out a few years back about how there might be a climate change Armageddon in our lifetime. And I'm just thinking, you know, I got asthma. I've got a peanut allergy. I'm fucked. People with peanut allergies, I don't think will fare very well in a post-society world. I think I'd be weeded out pretty quick. But anyways, let's live for the moment, folks. So my new song, Wait, as I said, by Calvera, featuring Arthimira, is out now. It's available everywhere. I'll leave a link in my show notes so you can find your platform of choice. I'll also include a link to a Spotify playlist I made to go along with it. If you're on Spotify, a couple things you can do to help out would be to follow me on Spotify, to hit the heart button and fave that song, and to put it in a playlist if you have a playlist going on. And if you all enjoy the song, word of mouth goes a long way. It's pretty much all I got to work with right now, so please consider telling a friend, making a post, you know, the drill. What else do we got in the plug department? Um, Sign up for my newsletter. It's monthly. You get a little piece of writing, a playlist, recommendations of music and media that I've been enjoying. I think for the next newsletter, I think I'm going to do that next week a little early. And I'm going to do my top 40 all-time albums, Calvero's top 40 albums, because I'm a fucking dork. Because the, uh, you know, the if Rolling Stone can do the 500 greatest albums, which I have issues with, I can do my top 40. Who cares? So if that's something that interests you, I've got a link for that in my show notes as well. Sign up. Join me. Um, I've been doing remote songwriting lessons. I've been having a fucking blast. Been working with people on process, fundamentals of pop writing, the craft, workshopping people's songs. This has been a great time. Uh, if you're interested or know anyone who might be, shoot me an email at imcalvero at gmail.com and I'll include that email address in the notes too. Grab the first singles collection on Bandcamp. It's a compilation of my first five songs. Pay what you want in the show notes if you want to pick it up. And that's it for self-promotion, folks. You gotta self-promote, folks. You gotta self-promote. But let's get back to it. So... Through this process of releasing another song, another piece of music, I had a few interesting conversations with some friends who are kind of in similar situations that I am, where we've all aged out of the potential of wonderkin status. And by the way, uh, I recently listened to a great episode of this podcast called Citations Needed, where they really broke down how bullshit those 30 under 30 lists are how our culture is so obsessed with youth and success and that race to get powerful when you're young is all because it just implies that you're going to be even more powerful when you're older. How you get on these lists obviously has very little to do with pure creative or innovative merit and a whole lot more to do with socioeconomic background, nepotism, aggressive PR campaigns. And yet these lists inspire so many feelings of inadequacy to the vast majority of us who don't have shit to show for what we do, or at least in the eyes of fucking Forbes. But those guys at Citations Needed really break it down, and I recommend the listen if you're into that sort of thing, which I assume you are if you're listening to this. But yeah, so aging out of wonderkin status, as I've talked about before on the pod, can actually take a lot of pressure off if you decide to keep going, because it's almost like you have nothing left to prove And if you're really focused on being powerful and successful at a young age, then a lot of your efforts 
are really going to go towards trying to impress and be embraced by the gatekeepers and the money people. But for me and my buddies who I've been talking to, we're older millennials on the fringes of our respective industries, if not completely outside of them, and less concerned about being the biggest or the best, and more about just trying to carve out a little space for ourselves, just trying to do what we do and get it out there and try to find the people who appreciate it and to really be there for the people who do appreciate it. And by the way, I gotta say, you know, Sometimes I look at the numbers and, and uh, there's certainly more people that listen to this podcast um, than I expected. And so thank you for being on board with this whole thing, with this whole trip. Um, but, you know, this this smallness just kind of like settling into a, a smaller size of aspirations and, and what you do. There's something that's incredibly humbling and calming about that. But for me, it's still a process I need to learn to be comfortable with because I spend most of my adult life on the wrong side of the tracks, if you will, and really putting it all on the table to try and create a massive legacy dictated by our established institutions. That's something me and one of my friends were talking about, this drive to create a legacy, to work ourselves into oblivion, to stab people in the back, to have a fucking miserable life, but to have a legacy, a body of work, that touched millions of people and made them feel things and we can leave behind this earth and be immortal because we put in the work that transcends who we are as people and we made our mark. And I was talking about this to my therapist and he suggested to me that it's the driver is less creating a legacy and leaving the world with a legacy, but just that we convince ourselves that every step of the way towards that legacy of, of getting bigger, generating wealth, generating fame or notoriety, we just think that's what's going to make us happy. And in a lot of ways, I think that this process, this drive for legacy or happiness through legacy or whatever, I think that thought process was the driver for me having a pretty fucking miserable life internally and externally and getting to the point where I had a fucking breakdown and couldn't take care of myself and had to move home and spend two years just spiraling deeper and deeper until I finally started going to therapy and was telling my therapist about all of my fears and all of my depressive thoughts about feeling like my life was a failure and my dreams for myself just didn't come true and all of the pressure I had put on myself throughout my life. And what he told me was, you make music because it makes you happy. You want to devote your life to that because it makes you happy. And it was really hard for me to swallow this because he's right, but I think I had really lost sight of that fact. Because, you know, I think when we learn what we love to do as a kid or as a teenager, and it starts from just like being a fan of something or losing yourself in the expression of it, but then it gets to, um, you know, when it comes into the academic world, um, when it becomes to a more competitive world, you're competing with others, and then it's, it's about like trying to get scholarships from it, trying to just be the best, and then it all gets fucked up. But I think I had really lost sight of that fact, the simplicity of you, you make music or you make what you make because it makes you happy. 
I think at this point when I was talking to my therapist after one of one of my few all-time lows of life, I think I'd really lost sight of that fact. Just like that pure joy that comes from creating and being in the moment, creating something, getting it right or getting it wrong and letting that thing become a part of someone else's life when you put it out into the world. And yet I had gone down this hole of that legacy trap, convincing myself that my happiness was just an impediment to my success and my greatness. Me and my friend were talking about Jim Henson. Jim Henson for me growing up was, as Mark Maron would say, my guy. I was endlessly inspired by how many lives he touched. The hustle that went into him growing his empire building worlds, being so meticulous with his execution, finding the right people to see through his vision, to have this public brand as a gentle, touched, wonderful man. But on the flip side, as I've been getting older, I've learned that he also had a very difficult family life with his wife and kids, just what I've read, and I don't know if it's true. Um, And he was such a workhorse and such a workaholic that he dropped dead when he was 53. He hadn't been taking care of himself, he was ignoring his health, he got pneumonia, and he died. And I think Jim Henson left the world with a legacy, undoubtedly, but I'm unsure how happy his life really was. It just makes me think about the Muppet movie, I'm sure you've all seen the Muppet movie, one of the greatest movies ever made. It just makes me think about that whole thesis of the Muppet movie was Kermit having that dream to make millions of people happy. Maybe that's what I'll call this episode. Millions of people happy. Make a note of that. And this conversation with my friend, it also makes me think of this documentary I recently watched called Jim and Andy. I'm sure many of you have seen that. It's about Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman in this movie, Man on the Moon in the 90s. Andy Kaufman, when I was growing up, was another one of my guys. I think too early. I think I discovered him when I was like 11, when Man on the Moon came out. The movie, there was like Comedy Central was playing all of his stuff, and I was just enamored by this guy. Um, I think it got me into a lot of trouble back then as a kid, but we can only move forward. But this this movie was about Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman in this movie, Man on the Moon in the 90s. And Jim Carrey approached this role full method actor style and convinced himself that the entire spirit of Andy Kaufman had inhabited his body and acted in character for the entire duration of filming the movie. He treated everyone like shit. He started fights. He almost drove the director to have a fucking breakdown. He caused pure chaos to everyone from the director, the actors, to the poor fucking people who were just working craft services, doing hair, like just workers. And he just caused pure chaos, even more so than the real Andy Kaufman was known to do. And in this documentary, Jim Carrey is looking back at this time and he's looking back at this footage and he's talking about how in his early 30s, he became this gigantic movie star. He did The Mask, Ace Ventura, and Dumb and Dumber in the same fucking year, 1994. He became a massive star. And he had lived his entire life convinced that this was what he wanted. There's this famous story. He, I think he told it to Ellen or Oprah or one of the big talk shows. 
He told this famous story of him writing himself a check for a million dollars that he would cash when he became a movie star. And it happened. And then when it happened, it made him feel empty. And all of the attention and all of the fame didn't make him feel good. And five years into his superstardom, he does this movie about Andy Kaufman and he turned it into a way of him to retreat, of being someone else, even if it meant fucking up so many people's lives in the process. And at the end of the movie, he was talking about how he realized when the film wrapped up that he had to go back to being Jim Carrey, that he couldn't be Andy Kaufman anymore, he couldn't avoid things anymore. And this thought of going back to his reality terrified him. And this moment was a pretty big fucking gut punch for me. And so in this conversation with my buddy about legacy, my friend had also brought up The Last Dance, the documentary about Michael Jordan. Not my wheelhouse, folks. I'm not a sports guy. I like, um, I like sports. I, you know, I like uh, Friday Night Lights. I like that movie, The Way Back, um, with Ben Affleck. And I thought the, um, the 30, what is it? 30, 34, not 30 under 40, the 30 for 30, um, the Michael, what was it? The, the OJ Simpson one was incredible. And so I'll probably watch The Last Dance eventually. You hear enough people talking about things, you just dive into it. But um, he brought up The Last Dance this documentary about Michael Jordan. And he was saying that Michael Jordan in, in the footage seemed fucking miserable. Whereas in contrast, maybe his modern comparison would be LeBron, my friend says, who doesn't quite have the same accolades or the same medals or the same stats, but he just seems like a way happier and more fulfilled dude. And at the end of the day, maybe the number of championships you retire with is less important than your general fucking well-being for that whole ride. That also made me think, um, I heard this thing about Prince and Michael Jackson. And there's always been this perceived rivalry and tension between the two of them. That Michael Jackson was the king of pop and Prince was, well, Prince. The Prince. And it seems for Prince that was almost by design, like he obviously made pop music and he had really big hits and was a part of the culture in a massive way, but he was less concerned about being the biggest star in the world and more about doing his weird little fucked up thing that he did. And I think in my mind, he always functioned as an underdog, like one of his first introductions into the public eye in a big way was opening for the Rolling Stones. I think that was for his Dirty Mind album. And he got booed off stage every night. And his shit wasn't for everyone. But he did what he did and he found his people. And he found a lot of people. And I'd say he's one of the biggest stars in music. But his sales and his impact was nowhere near Michael Jackson. Who was really concerned with being the biggest and having the biggest sales and the biggest songs and the biggest personal brand but there's reports I heard that Michael Jackson was obsessed with Prince to the point of deep insecurity and was always asking about what Prince was up to. Prince, this guy who just like did his fucking thing. And I don't know, I just think that's interesting to me. So when I try to think about why I do what I do beyond this need for a legacy that transcends myself or the 
delusion that that's what's going to bring me happiness or my hopes for an elevation in social status and socioeconomic status through success in the marketplace. You know, why do I do this shit? And I randomly watched this movie called Indie Game, the movie, and it's about these two groups of people that are making and releasing independent video games. Again, not my wheelhouse, just thought it seemed interesting, saw a buddy tweet about it. And the story that really resonated with me was one about these two guys making this game called Super Meat Boy. And the game becomes a success. They worked their their asses off. They made a ton of money. One of them was able to pay off his parents' mortgage. You work hard, it pays off, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of the feel-good endings of a capitalist love story that we've come to expect. But the part that really moved me was the creator of the game. On the week that the game launched, or the day that the game launched, after so much struggle and uncertainty and insecurity, this guy was looking at all these message boards and websites about the game and was starting to see that people were making fan art of the characters that he created. And he got really emotional and he started crying and he was talking about how that's what he did when he was a kid who felt isolated and misunderstood and who used games to transcend his world and he made drawings of like Sonic and Mario. And now kids who were like him then are now doing the same things for characters that he created, that this guy, this video game creator, he went down this hole and came out the other side and made something that's provided the kind of escape, the kind of comfort that was so important or maybe saved his life when he was a kid. And for me, when I peel away all of the bullshit, I think that's a very similar drive for me to do what I do because music has moved me more than anything else and made me understand the world and love and anger and joy and politics more than anything else. And I just love and respect the history so much and and just want to dedicate my life to understanding it and to use those tools to express myself and to make other people feel what my favorite music has made me feel. And at the same time, I just want to create beautiful, ambitious things that inspire and empower others, like this guy Devin Townsend, who I pretty much devoted all of episode three to. Like, he doesn't make my favorite music. It's not a genre I'm particularly interested in especially these days, but I find endless inspiration and empowerment from his work, How what he has done over the years with his voice, with his work, with his production process, and how transcendent he is with this process. And he's successful in the sense that he makes a living, but it's a modest living. He doesn't have the legacy as one of the quote-unquote greats, but he's made my life better just by doing what he does and showing how he does it. And so I want to provide that for other people, and I don't really think that it matters the scale at which I'm able to do it. So if I'm spending six weeks or something layering a billion vocals, which I have been, and create something on the other side of things that I think is beautiful and that I think is a successful materialization of what I want to express, of just musical and sonic worlds that I've been dreaming of, Even if at the end of the day, all of that work results in like a lifetime of 2,000 streams, then that's not really the point. The point is going down my rabbit holes, following my process and my path, 
and hopefully creating something beautiful and inspiring that other people can carry with them and can help them feel things in a new way or can inspire them to go down their own fucking rabbit hole for whatever they do and create something beautiful which in turn inspires others and creates this lovely chain reaction or feedback loop of just a richer expression and understanding of humanity. Luckily, I think you age out of fear of coming across as pretentious, so I won't make any apologies for that. But, you know, I, th- I think this driver for what I do has made it so easy for me to be swayed by socialism and leftist politics because the vision for a lot of that is that everybody should have the time and the ability to, if they want to, find something they love to do, like I love music, and to be able to cultivate that and enrich the world with it. But instead, we're stuck with capitalism, and especially in the arts, from music and TV and movies, and I'm sure fine arts and theater and so on. It's such a fucking dogfight for anyone to have the time and to have the resources to be able to absorb themselves with this expression. And it's such a fucking dogfight that's often reliant on nepotism and family wealth to put that time in and to have the access to the gatekeepers in the industry that will put their stuff in front of people. And we're told to believe that the only art that is of value is the stuff that has succeeded in capitalism that makes money for corporations and is deemed notable by certain publications. And so, so many of us who just do the work and make something and enrich some people's lives, we just buy into the bullshit that there are certain markers that deem that stuff worthless when it's anything but worthless. And so with this attitude instilled in us, it is still a struggle for someone like me and my friends who I've been talking to who are in similar boats, who are trying to get more comfortable with a more humble path in their career in the arts. And for me, releasing music and putting it out into the world and letting it go and moving on is something that I think is one of my biggest challenges. I've got maybe 12 years of shitty attitudes to transcend. And I think I have a lot of work left to do for myself because I put out this song, you know, when I started looking at the numbers, how many streams is it getting per day, first week? Am I doing enough? Am I growing? Did I not plan enough to reach people? And then that can very easily cause this feedback loop of anxiety and feelings of inadequacy and frustration and to feel like the legacy of this song that I made or these songs that I made and put out into the world, the only way to quantify their legacies are by the number of fucking streams they've gotten or the number of likes a post has gotten. And for me... When I'm looking about myself and what my therapist has brought up many times is that this world of social media, of the music, the statistics, it's just a world that becomes too close for me and I'm not able to see anything beyond it. And I start feeling like my entire worth and my entire life is riding on this. And song analytics and social media becomes my entire world, my obsession, and it becomes so heavy and feels so much more important than it actually would be if you were just able to walk away and let things breathe. 
but sometimes it's not easy to do. Which, you know, if you saw that documentary, The Social Dilemma, the one on Netflix, that these platforms are designed by these fucking evil 20-somethings and 30-somethings in San Francisco to make a fucking fortune selling ads by manipulating our emotions and making us dependent on these platforms. And emerging artists, so much of the advice you get is to depend on these analytics and algorithms from these platforms like Spotify. And so you're just faced with these cold fucking numbers because you've been told that if you want to grow and you want to succeed, then you have to treat yourself like a small corporation and make sure the numbers are good and make sure the numbers are growing. And if you're not growing, then you're failing and you're not worth shit. And the shareholders are pissed, which is funny because there are no shareholders. Maybe our insecurities are the shareholders. And then everything becomes so fucking important. Who didn't follow you back on Instagram? What does that say about you and your work? I'm not proud of it, but I can really spiral out on this shit. And I think I'm very susceptible to it still. And the uncomfortable truth for me, for a lot of us who are workaholics, or feel like they're defined by their work, is that it is deeply uncomfortable as well as terrifying to step away and try and separate yourself from that shit in that world that surrounds it and to just sit with who you are beyond that and the feelings that you might have that might not be good feelings that you need to work through. Feelings of fear, inadequacy, anger, They're not good feelings and they exist inside you and they need to be confronted and they need to be worked through outside of who you are as a worker and a creator or whatever you see in the social status of the world that you belong in. And diving into your work and everything around it is just a way of delaying and indefinitely postponing that confrontation, that moment like Jim Carrey Realizing that he couldn't be Andy Kaufman more. Realizing that he'd gotten everything he ever dreamed of and it made him feel worse. And figuring out what to do about that. And so I think I've come to understand that it's hard for me to sit with this. And a lot of the obsession that I have regarding the bullshit, the numbers, who didn't follow me back, what did I do, do I suck? It's all fucking... It's just a distraction to sit with more real things about me that I need to sit with. And I try to meditate, but it hasn't been very easy lately. And it's been hard for me to just like sit and read a fucking book or watch a movie. I'm just trying to get back to that place. And I think it's clear to me that what I need to work on for myself is just nurturing that distance a little more. But leaving this tangent aside... Thanks for listening so far. We're we're at the 30 minute mark, folks. What a long, strange trip it's been. But we're uh, you know, we're at the finish line for this one. But I think most people who have made something have gone through this struggle of putting it out into the world and then looking at all the numbers of likes it got or the streams or views or whatever and just left with this hollow feeling of is this all there is? Is that it? So I recently watched a really beautiful film, I think maybe my favorite movie of the year, 
um, called 40-Year-Old Version, not Virgin, Version, on Netflix, which I'd highly recommend everyone watch because if you've been listening to this podcast six episodes in, then you're probably interested in the subject matter. But it's about this woman who's about to turn 30. She's a playwright. And she had been on a 30 under 30 list, but her career never seemed to materialize. And the film finds her in this struggle where she has the choice between writing a play that goes against her principles, but would provide her access to industry people and accolades and her drive to begin expressing herself as a rapper. That's what she's struggling with. She has this drive to express herself as a rapper, which is a new outlet for her that has become this fountain of pure creative energy. So she's going through this struggle and feeling frustrated with how her life has turned out and the dreams that didn't come true. And she's with her brother, clearing out her mom's apartment. Her mom recently passed away. She was a painter, among other things, but never found success in the industry. Maybe never had serious aspirations for that industry, was never showcased in any galleries. And the woman, the focus point of the film, Rada, just looks at this picture that her mother painted that they're about to put in storage, and she essentially says, so that's what this painting has come to. Forgotten, put into storage, collecting dust. Anyone who back in the day printed a thousand CDs and has 800 CDs collecting dust in a fucking sad basement somewhere, I'm sure can relate to this. And her brother simply said that painting was a part of a full life of someone who found their joy through painting, but also lived a life as an activist who traveled, who had kids. It's just not an object. And I found that movie, but that scene in particular to be very potent for me and a potent reminder as I was finding myself getting too caught up with the numbers and the bullshit and reminding myself, you know, this song Wait that was created out of pure joy and pure curiosity and pure love of the music that inspired it. And it was a wonderful four or five months or however long if you had, you know, breaks in between of just really diving into that world and learning and setting the table for the next thing to come and the next thing after that and so on. And when it's finished and mixed and mastered and put on Spotify or whatever, it's not just an object. It was a wonderful part of this larger process that I just need to keep reminding myself about. And I think, if anything, that would be the point of this podcast for me, maybe for you. And so on a much, as much of a positive note as I'd be able to leave things on, I think this is probably it. So I'm going to leave things here. Hope you enjoyed the pod. You can always drop me a line. Let me know what you think at IamCalvero at gmail.com. So it's a bit of a shorter one today. Feel okay about that. So hopefully when I talk to you next time, fucking joe biden i know i know sleepy joe but come on guys we we all know he'd be better hopefully he is elected president and i'll talk to you next time goodbye